0: Welcome to the first episode of the first season of Chips and Channels, a soccer podcast dedicated to football, footy, any other term you want to call soccer, and all of the stories connected to it. I love a great chip in a game when the ball goes soaring overhead and it becomes um, an exciting opportunity. Just as much as I do a channel when that pass just sort of goes down a lane, only the person In that moment can see and the rest of us are lucky enough to recognize, well, I think soccer so often when it comes to the stories and the news is like those chips and channels. My joy is to share them with you. This is a podcast recorded in the real world, not a hermetically sealed box, which means you will hear my dogs. You will hear outside noises. Most importantly, you're going to hear me just like you doing my best to enjoy something I care about, even while the real world goes on around me. So don't adjust your headphones. The sounds could be coming from my world or yours, depending on where you are and when you're listening. And if you happen to have snoring dogs and barking neighbor dogs and, well, things like that, this could be really fun. And if not, you get a taste of my life. And maybe when you share your feedback with me, I get a taste of yours. I want to start things off with the fact that This Friday, I was lucky enough to sit down and enjoy the World Cup draw. It was pretty exciting. I've always had to do something on the previous draws and this was one of those few times when I didn't. It was really interesting to watch how the uh, process was broken down with the drawings, with the hosts, with the celebrities doing the drawings and then all the things that were decided when it was all said and done. Uh, Essentially, there was a really sort of interesting reminder about what the process has been like so far, how everyone has broken down into the groups that they've been in, and then what things look like once the draw was complete. So, once it was, we had Group A with Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands, then we had Group B with England, Iran, USA. And then the fourth spot is an interesting one. Either Wales, the Ukraine, or Scotland will take that spot. And that's a lot of variety, a lot of opportunity for whoever is uh, going to face up against them. I mean, essentially everyone in Group B will, but perhaps even afterwards, depending on how Group B works out. Group C has Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Group D, France. Another interesting one in which either Australia, the UAE, or Peru will be joining that group. And then Denmark and Tunisia are already selected. Group E also has an interesting one in which Spain, Germany, and Japan are already known. But that second spot will either be Costa Rica or New Zealand. Group F has Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia, Group G, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon, and Group H, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. Now those names, those lists, you can you can see all that you can read all that, but hearing each group, it was interesting that afterwards I didn't hear a lot of conversation from those like I was listening to uh, the broadcast on FS1 and they had Alexei Lawless, who was offering some insights. And one of the most important things I think he said was that there is no group of death in this World Cup draw. All of the groups have a mix. There, There is no one in which it seems like uh, instant suffering. In fact, in many cases, there's a lot of interesting history. Let's take a look at Group B. You've got the group with the U.S. I'm partial to the U.S. because I live here, because U.S. men's national team has such a... Difficult relationship with the World Cup. Remember, it was 2018 uh, With great disappointment that the US did not make the World Cup So to get them in this time around I'm intrigued by who they will be facing Uh, For starters England and Iran. There's some great history there. Uh, US faced off against Iran in 2010 there's also been a history of some great matches between England and the US But then it's also how the U.S., like England and Iran, can adapt to what the possibility, the unknown variable will be, between who will take that fourth spot, Wales, Ukraine, or Scotland. Now, it was interesting, I'm going to say interesting a lot, apparently, this episode, when I heard some response and comments from U.S. Men's National Team Head Coach Greg Berhalter. He described the... uh, The differences between them is simply being one on one level. Wales and Scotland, both European teams, uh, similar styles of play with expectations of players known, but the Ukraine, one that is not as easy to categorize. And because of that, presents a lot of interesting challenges. Now, there are also some factors to consider When you're thinking about all the things that have been going on for the uh, U.S. men's national team, for soccer, (laughs) for all the things that they've been um, working on. I mean, remember that in order to get to the draw, first you have to qualify. And qualifying has been a very interesting road for the U.S. men's national team. They have taken on a number of challenges. They have had some great highlights, and they've had some difficult lows. And I'm interested in the fact that this feels like something that could be, you know, well, it could be quite the adventurous ride. I think for a lot of people, it's going to be a confusing time simply to try and understand where the team is at as they go into these games, what it's going to be like for them. But first, I have to go pay some bills, and then I'll be right back. Now, the U.S. men's national team has had an interesting road. I've enjoyed a lot of their successes and I know that 2021 for me was an opportunity to see them really excel. 2022 has been a road littered with uh, challenges. Those are things that have been addressed recently with a lot of the different lineups that Burhalter has put in play in different matches. After the U.S went ahead and closed out their match against Mexico with a 0-0 draw back on uh, Thursday, right around the end of March. Well, for me, it, it just seemed like that was an opportunity to take away all of the strengths, all of the weaknesses from a game, but also to look at the players that you have and try and understand the simple fact that there have been just so many injuries I mean, I look at the fact that Weston McKinney has been coming off a difficult injury. Before that, he'd had to miss a few games in 2021. Then we had Pulisic coming back from injury. We uh, recently had uh, Gio Reyna coming back from injury and joining the team. And then along the way, there were just plenty of players getting injured. So there's been a number of those things that had to be addressed. There was the lineup against Mexico, and then there's the need to sort of like not play your players too much in all three games, to sort of take advantage of the fact that if you do have a variety of players available to you, then it's best to try them out in different combinations and look for ways that you can have more than one lineup that can be competitive, if not successful. So after the uh, Mexico 0-0 draw, you might have noticed, as I did, The uh, big four changes in the U.S. lineup when they faced off against Panama, Um, that included Jesus Ferreira, winger Paul Areola, Luca De La Torre, Shaq Moore. That was a great opportunity to see new faces, to also give some rest to players like Kellen Acosta, who had already showcased so well against Mexico. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, who has just been a constant, ferocious force as a forward. Um, There was a great deal of expectation going into that match, and the U.S. was not disappointed by the performance. I mean, Polišic with a hat-trick, a 5-1 score, and those were helpful things to boost the U.S. after that really tough stalemate against Mexico. But that also means that later on, they had to go into a game against Costa Rica where It was very interesting to hear just how many people thought that this was an expected win for the U.S. And yet Costa Rica has put up a valiant effort and is not quick to go away. As I just mentioned, they are still potential contenders for the World Cup. Uh, It will either be Costa Rica or New Zealand who will be getting one of those spots that is still remaining and will only be decided by a playoff. Now... I think the thing that's going to really be um, important for the U.S. is to keep in mind that there were a lot of expected things from all of the games that they went into. And some of that could be based on their performance in 2021. And yet at the same time, I also think that some of it could be on the expectations of the team as they continue to play together, as they continue to understand their combinations. And the more you work with someone on anything... The better you develop um, an understanding of who they are, what they like, what they want. And likewise, they understand you. All those things that work best for you and how those two understandings can complement each other. Well, then you expand that with a team and you have this great way that they can constantly improve that gelling process that's so important. And what that can mean for how they feel about themselves and the team as they get ready for upcoming competitions. Now, probably one of the bigger things that I'm interested in is uh, the fact that when it comes to this World Cup, I don't know if it's got my dog running extra up and down the stairs, but you can hear now kind of slumping. And uh, (laughs) I think that's something that I will be doing when World Cup is played. The last couple of World Cups have been in the summertime instead, the World Cup in Qatar will begin in November. It will actually start November 21st. It will carry through what here in the United States is commonly known as Thanksgiving and into December. Now, that's a that's a completely different take for me. Soccer has always been one of those things where the World Cup is in the summer. That's just how it goes. <laughs> and yet, it's clear that that's something that is changing, and it's going to be an interesting adjustment. I mean, I'm intrigued by the fact that that recently we had MLS games played on Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving in the United States has so often meant football, as in American football. Classic matchups, classic rivalries. These are the things that have come with Thanksgiving for so long, and now... We can say that in 2022, there will be a substantial change to not only how the World Cup is played, but where it's played, how there are all these different changes going on, and how these are going to affect the U.S. men's national team. I think they've got all the potential in the world. I do think that they know how good they are, and that can be a tough thing, because when you know how good they are, you can believe that you're going to get things done. But you have to do more than believe when it comes to getting things done against great teams who also believe, but also know that if they don't have some kind of action behind that belief, if there isn't um, some sort of effort that is being put forth and supported by that belief, well, belief is just belief. You can sit and hope, but waiting for something to happen as opposed to making something happen. There's a a lot of arguments to be had about those two schools of thought, those philosophies. Mine is that the U.S. men's national team has a great opportunity, has a lot of great talent, and the fact that they believe is something that can be positive for them, but if it's something they rely on, then it might be them (laughs) knowing that it's going to happen and knowing not doing, which is always, I think, one of the most dangerous things that all of us can face. I love that quote. The knowledge that we can is so often the reason why we do not. I don't want to see that happen in the U.S. men's national team. I think they can find a way out of this. I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. And I also know that between now and November 21st, there is so much that can transpire. And I'm looking forward to hearing and sharing the updates as well as your feedback to all of these great stories. Hey, I have to take a quick break, and then I'll be right back. Now, for me at least, soccer can in so many ways, like most sports, like so much that goes on in our lives, be all about the big moments. And It's often been pointed out how important the small moments also are. There are so many different ways that we can be sort of blindsided by the big news. I mean, the World Cup draw just happened. There are groups, matches, and variables, and so many great things that we can go, ooh, let's spend a lot of time, if not most of our time, talking about these things. And those are good things. Those are important things. These are things that will be coming up later. So yes, they, they can be helpful to, uh, to focus on. But at the same time, there are also those stories where it's a highlight. It's, it's a great moment that goes beyond the sport. It's, it's one of those things that says, hey, for whatever reason, stop just for a minute. Don't get caught up in all of the things going on and consider just how important one moment might be. Recently, there has been a great deal of discussion about how players are treated when it comes to games. And I think a great example would be the recent game uh, between Egypt and Senegal, in which uh, Mohamed Salah, for Egypt had, I think, somewhere around 250 million laser pointers. Okay, I'm exaggerating, but he had more laser pointers than should naturally occur, unnaturally occur, be allowed, um, (laughs) be possible when going for a penalty kick, one that he missed, one that could have decided the fate of Egypt in another direction instead of being eliminated from qualifying for the World Cup while Senegal is getting in, and will get a chance to show just how good they are and how far they can go, Egypt won't have that chance. And the laser pointers have been a point of contention, something I've seen quite a bit of commentary on. Nothing significant has been done about that yet. In fact, the only big news coming out recently about the Senegal-Egypt game is that Egypt has raised a protest and is asking for an investigation into racist banners that were being displayed by fans rooting for Senegal during the match. I'll see if more develops on that, but I am always delighted when in response to stories where there's been injustice, there has been difficulties, there has been uh, sort of a waiting for something to be righted that there can also be those stories where something has been righted, a wrong has been addressed. The story that caught my attention first is about a UK teen who has been jailed after racially abusing Manchester United forward Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford is one of those people that I would like to imagine myself as if I had ever succeeded and become a professional athlete. I mean, my dream was soccer, but I, I think like most of us who aspired at a young age. Any sport would have been great, but soccer would have been the dream. This guy is a young talent who has faced a lot of racial abuse, and his response has been not to get angry, not to, um, and not saying that he doesn't get angry, but not to publicly uh, outburst with fits of anger, but instead turn around and say, I think I can be part of a program that helps feed those in need where I live who has uh, committed himself to his community and has kind of flown in the face of a lot of what you might expect from a young, amazing talent playing for one of the biggest teams in the world. So, when I found out that someone who was abusing him, someone who is basically going after a player who's doing good and has, the, uh, <laughs> has this sort of evidence to back it up, was being harassed and abused, and then that his abuser was caught. I thought this was a great story to share. His name is Justin Lee Price. Um, That's the only time I'm going to say it. He's 19, and he's from Worcester. And he admitted to sending grossly offensive message through public communication. And this came to light during an appearance for the Worcester Magistrates Court back on March 17th. He was sentenced, and um, after initially trying to do some things to pretend that it wasn't he who had made the post, he then admitted to it. He has since been jailed, and he will be serving time. Um, I think it's important as an example to let people know that Sure, you can go ahead and try and, you know, be anonymous. You can think that there are ways to hide who you are, but in many situations, you will be found out. And once that happens, there will be consequences for your behavior. You will be required to pay for those actions. I was really pleased when I heard about this story because I know that racial abuse is something that is upticked in the English Premier League. It it was something that came to light during the uh, 2020 pandemic restart as well as during the 2021 season. And I'm even glad to still see it now that there is uh, the act of kneeling before the beginning of each game in response to saying, as the uh, announcers are so fond of repeating, there is no room for racism. I don't think there should be. I would like to see more stories like this. I am hopeful that this will encourage players, supporters, those seeking justice to respond by saying, that's right, we will not stop pushing for fair treatment, for an end to abuse based on race, based on any condition, abuse in all kinds. I'm encouraged and I am hopeful but I can also say, that's not my only uplifting hopeful story. As I mentioned, that's not the only happy story I have for you. Another one that I've been really excited about recently has been the performance of Andre Yarmolenko, who is a player from the Ukraine who had taken some time to be with his family. He couldn't, you know, sort of focus. He asked the coach to let him go home. This was all back when the invasion first started by Russian to Ukraine back around February twenty fourth. Um, Yarmolenko had been struggling with the fact that he had sent his family to Kiev because his child had a doctor's appointment. And now he was starting to worry. And he was in London. And It was finally around March 13th that he needed to return to the sport that he loved and cared about. And it was on March 13th against Aston Villa that uh, the West Ham United player was able to really step in and offer a great moment. 70th minute, 0-0 tie. Uh, The emotions that were felt not only by Yarmolenko, but by everybody who was watching, who was so overjoyed at the... uh, at the performance. Um, Now, this is someone who has already done what he can. He gave 75,000 pounds to armed forces of Ukraine to help defend the country. Uh, It's something that he struggled to talk about, you know, knowing that there are people facing constant shelling, hiding in basements, um, thinking about the hostilities. And Yarmolenko was quick to point out that so often trying to talk about it just brings him to tears. And he wanted to say that while he knows that not everyone can fight, he believes that everyone can support. In fact, he said that his message is not that all people that not all people can fight, that not everyone can shoot, but that they can help each other. And if they don't, then no one else will help. He has faith and belief that his country can survive, can withstand. But it's been a struggle watching them, and knowing that where he is there's a limit to what he can do and that even if he were to go back he's not a soldier he's not a fighter but he is someone who believes in the importance of his country's sovereignty and that when he could finally return to the sport he could do something that showed the resilience that he wants to reflect of his people not only was he able to do that for the team against Aston Villa but then later against uh, Sevilla, go ahead and put on an amazing performance as the hero in an extra-time win over Sevilla. Sevilla. Sometimes I'm going to pronounce things correctly. Sometimes I'm just going to find myself trying to figure out which way I want to pronounce things. But more often than not, I'm going to find myself amazed and ecstatic to be talking about stories like this. I mean, there is something... That is important about the idea behind sports and what it's capable of. I think for most of us, sports can be a great distraction. They can be a great thing to look forward to, a reward at the end of a hard week, a great competition in something that maybe we can't all participate in anymore. I mean, as we all get older, there is a limit to just how much we can actually do. Um, <laughs> And when it comes to doing the things we love to do, we can love wanting to do them, but our ability to actually participate them in them in the uh, in the same ways that we once did, that's not always possible. But the fact that we can still try, that we can still enjoy, that we can still be thrilled, um, I think it's a it's an absolute treat, and. I think there are more positive stories awaiting us. I was recently just really encouraged when I was lucky enough to see the update about a very well-regarded and emotional moment for a player who came into the lives of just about everyone back during the Euro 2020 competition. I was watching the game on television when suddenly there was a medical emergency And there was a player down. And it was later revealed that he was suffering from cardiac arrest. That player, who goes by the name of Erickson, was revived, recovered in the hospital, became an inspiration for his team and his country, and returned to the field where he'd suffered that cardiac arrest. And put on a performance, a stunning performance, scoring this absolutely amazing goal. And in doing so, kind of lifting up just about anybody who would be interested in this kind of amazing story, you know, to say, hey, you got to see what this guy did. Um, You got to be... uh, (laughs) amazed at at what he's doing, at how he's performing. It was at Parkin Stadium. Um, It was against Finland in the uh, Copenhagen at Euro 2020 when uh, he had suffered that that horrible moment. And then on a Saturday in a 4-2 defeat to the Netherlands, um, playing, just laughing, sort of thrilled with the idea of being able to return, knowing that his heart is no longer an obstacle, um, being able to to give all of those things that he was lucky enough to receive from so many great and um, somewhat overwhelmed, but also, I think, rightly emotional fans. This was one of those stories that made me smile, moved me just a little bit, and reminded me of of how it is that, yeah, sure, the World Cup draw is a big deal. Sure, there are events that are big deals, but there are also moments when a reminder of a big moment, like a player suffering a cardiac arrest, being followed up on by that player returning and scoring a goal and showing that amazing courage and resilience back on the field, Those kinds of stories, they lift me up, and it's a pleasure to share it with you in the hopes that it lifts you up as well. So I've got one more on the positive stories, and that's going to be our wrap-up for this week's episode. I hope I remembered everything I wanted to share with you and if I didn't, I'll do my best to include it next time or maybe in a comment or maybe if I missed something that you think was as important as anything I've shared, more important, close to as important, let me know. I would love to hear your feedback. This final story, Barcelona, Real Madrid. It was Barcelona setting a record for attendance, a women's match. The Champions League corner final against Real Madrid at Camp Nou. 91,553 supporters. That's what the dramatic pause was for. I'll do it again. 91,553 supporters. The previous record, which had stood since 1999, when 90,185 supporters fans watched the World Cup final between the United States and China at the Rose Bowl Pasadena has been surpassed. Some estimates suggest that 110,000 attended Denmark's win over Mexico at the Azteca Stadium back in the 1971 World Cup, a tournament that was not officially sanctioned. The existing high prior to Wednesday's Clásico was 60,739 set when Atletico Madrid hosted Barcelona in a league game at the Wanda Metropolitano in 2019. Usually, Barcelona plays their home games at the 6,000-seater Estadi Johan Cruyff at the club's training ground, but the match was moved to Camp Nou to accommodate a bigger demand for tickets, and I think it was the right move. It's just the second time that the European champions have played a competitive game at what is a 99,354-capacity stadium. Um, This was big news. This was, for me, so exciting to consider. Um, I think it's pretty amazing to have anyone cheer you on when you're playing a sport, when you're doing something you love, but 91,000 people. it's, It's really quite amazing. It's definitely a testament to the growing popularity of women's soccer, and the growing popularity of soccer overall. I think it's really exciting to consider just what kind of venues this could open up for future engagements, future matches, what the sort of appeal might be for upcoming uh, women's professional games. I know that the ones that I've caught have been exciting, thrilling. I know that there were times when the U.S. men's national team was not someone I was trying to watch, but the U.S. women's national team was full of thrills and spills and all the soccer joy I could get. And I know if this translates to more games on television, I will be watching those games. I will be cheering along. And who knows, if you're there too, we could be part of another attendance record. Perhaps for the most game or most people watching a game on television for a women's professional national team, whatever it might be, I know that this is the start of something special. I'm looking forward to what it means for women's soccer, for soccer overall, and for all the future stories I get to share with you right here on Chips and Channels. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you for listening in. And if you continue listening, thanks for that too. I know there's all these requests out there for you to subscribe and never miss, but all I ask is that when you remember, come and enjoy the next episode of Chips and Channels and great stories I wanna share with you. And also, let me know what you think about any of the stories I've shared or a story you think I need to share. I can't wait to hear from you and I look forward to the next time that I can talk about Chip's channels, soccer, football, footy, and all the great stories that go with it.